This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, come warm yourself by the fire. You are among friends. Ian Robertson is behind the glass, twisting the knobs and dials. Albert Vinzel is here running our HOA, Hangout on Air. And if you'd like to stream the show live on YouTube, uh, go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett. I'll spell the last name. 20 years in the business, still spelling the last name. Not bitter. <laughs> uh, S as in Simon. Y, because I love you. R-E-double-T, at Richard Serrett. And uh, so you go to the Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, find the tweet containing the HOA link. And you'll find that uh, tweet at or near the top of the feed. And you just click on the HOA link and you're in. Come join us inside our uh, cozy studio here in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto, where we are broadcasting from our flagship station, Zuma Radio AM 740 and 96.7 FM. Uh, Patty Greer is standing by, the crop circle gal, filmmaker, crop circle chaser, uh, but she's not here to talk crop circles. Nope. Uh, she is here along with Dr. Christina Bloss, who is a dental surgeon. Crop circles and dentistry. Now, that would be an interesting double major, wouldn't it? Uh, let me explain. Uh, Patty Greer, um, prior to becoming one of the top filmmakers in the, or I, let me say this, the top filmmaker in the crop circle uh, arena and one of the top crop circle researchers, prior to that, she had a life as a professional musician. She was a harpist. Uh, and then, like... Well, it seems to be millions now of, we'll get the data here shortly, but millions of North Americans. She began suffering from mercury poisoning, mercury toxicity, and this was related to the amalgam fillings in her mouth, and many of us have them. Uh, And that so adversely affected her health, she was no longer able to play the harp, and we will discover over the next 45, 50 minutes, how that led her into crop circle research, but more importantly for tonight's purposes, uh, how she discovered a remedy or how she was healed of her mercury toxicity. And uh, Dr. Christina Bloss, a dental surgeon, will be along as well. Uh, Get on up to the website, strangeplanet.ca. There's a TV section and a live event section, but there's a radio section. Uh, So you go to the radio section and click on the conspiracy show. And voila, you're uh, you're on the uh, the homepage for the radio program. And up at the top there, you'll see our slide carousel where Albert and I have posted our usual assortment of fascinating tidbits and news stories, including a special sneak peek preview of the X-Files. So if you've got 21 minutes to spare, check it out. It's a fairly extensive preview. Stars David Duchovny and uh, Gillian Anderson. Returning to in this uh, 
behind-the-scenes look to reveal top-secret intel from the set and track the process of returning agents Mulder and Scully to the screen. This is so widely anticipated. It's uh, causing quite a stir, and it's coming, I believe, it's uh, over two nights. The first half, uh, it's six new episodes, and it, they start with a special two-night event. The first half commences on Sunday, Jan 24th, at 10 p.m., and then the next chapter drops Jan 25 at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you want to check out the, uh, the sneak preview, uh, just go to strangeplanet.ca, click on the radio page, and it's in the slide carousel. There's a lot of great stories there as well. All right, to the main entree, Patty Greer. As I mentioned, one of the hardest-working crop circle filmmakers today. She's the filmmaker who discovered a band of coded communication between two balls of light just before they produced a crop circle in seconds. And this incredible discovery was caught on film, uh, in her film. Uh, and uh, she's, if you go, go, go to her website, and that's pattygreer.net, pattygreer.net. And... There, a list of uh, her impressive work. The shift has hit the fan. Crop circle update. The wake-up call. One event, other worlds. Four stories. The wake-up call. Anybody listening. We're already in it, 2012. UFOs, ETs, abductees, and brilliant minds. And uh, before we uh, introduce Dr. Christina Bloss, let me welcome Patty Greer to The Conspiracy Show once again. Hello, Patty. How are you? Nice to hear you again, Richard. It's uh, not been that long. Uh, well, we had we were we spoke last, I guess, on Coast to Coast a few well, months we back. We also had the Lana Marconi movie event recently. That's right. That's right. Yes. I feel like I'm seeing you often now, which I really appreciate. <laughs> uh, that's right. You were able to join us by uh, via Skype. That was uh, that was an interesting uh, afternoon, to be sure. All right. Um, thanks for coming on once again. Dr. Christina Bloss is one of the uh, – um, rather, Christina Bloss well, – let me see here. I've just had a little bit of a computer problem here. I've dropped my – She is the dentist yes. that saved Patty Greer's life. Wow. All right. Well, <laughs> Christina – fill in the blank. <laughs> Thank you for that. My computer just went wacko. Hey. So, uh, yes, uh, Christina Bloss, welcome. Uh, thank you for joining us. Oh, nice to be here. All right. We, um, after the break, I will give you a proper formal introduction, but let's just dive right in right now. Patty, first of all, uh, what, we're talking about a dozen years ago now, correct, or has it been more? Since... It's been a dozen years, yeah. Okay, um, so... And, you know, I, I'd like to say it's over, but I'm not fully healed. Mercury poisoning is a monster, and the fact that it's still legal to do this to people is stunning. And they've had the evidence for, Christy will tell you how many years, you know, that we've known mercury fillings are not a good idea. Right. And the fact that they arrive to the dentist office in hazardous waste material trucks and they leave the dentist office once they've been removed from your mouth in contained cases in those same trucks, the dentist, all they can say legally is, well, the only thing between those, you know, dangerous missions is your mouth. And and when did you discover, I mean, this didn't happen immediately upon receiving these amalgam fillings, correct? It took, when did it, when did it start to manifest, the symptoms? Well, I had a really great dentist for almost 30 years, and he and I finally had a discussion where he knew that I walked to yoga and walked to the farmer's market, and I was really healthy, had a great life. And he said, what are you doing with those silver fillings in your teeth? We really should get them out. 
And he was honest. A lot of dentists won't say that out loud because, you know, they could possibly lose their license. But he did. And so I said, great idea. How much? He said $10,000. So, you know, in that moment, I said, yeah, I'll get back to you. Sure. So I called around. I found another dentist, thousands of dollars less. Didn't cross my mind that it would be that much different than my dentist. So I went with a second guy just to, you know, get these silver fillings out of my mouth and he had met me once, did the x-rays, we agreed on the teeth, it was six, and they were all going to go white porcelain, one gold crown, agreed. So six grand, free nitrous, I was like, well, save four grand, I'll go to a different dentist. Lay back in his chair, stuck the thing on my nose, passed out, and when I woke up, he hands me the mirror. And I said, oh, when are we starting? He said, we're done. I said, no, I've got a mouthful of mercury fillings. He said, well, you know, while during the procedure, you changed your mind. I said, during the procedure, I've been, I've been out cold and since we started. I was completely unconscious, and he claimed that I had told him to put mercury fillings in me while I was unconscious, and there you have it. That's oh how I got poisoned. It took about six months. I lost the use of my hands, and what happened was these hands that have played harp, and piano for 33 years professionally, all of a sudden I had open cuts on my fingertips and the skin started dying and turning brown on my fingertips. And so I've had 12 years of uh, really challenging skin on that, my and hands. That, and that's one, of the, that's one of the telltale symptoms? Is I it? don't know what it is oh. for other people, but I know that that's what happened to me. And... Um, Every day has been a fight with my hands, which I love them, but to try and just be able to get by without Band-Aids, um, it's, it's been a really stunning experience for me. And as painful as it's been to have open cuts on my hands for 12 years, um, you don't even realize how often you use your hands for absolutely everything. So it's made me really shift my frequency and my focus to be really present. Every move I make, I'm really present. I know when I touch things to be super careful. And it's kind of um, like I'm leading into there's possibly been a benefit to having to go through this for 12 years, which is I've become a very different person. And as much as I suffered in the beginning, I uh, went to every kind of doctor, every kind of healer. I think I tried everything but voodoo. And nothing worked. Um, my doctors, for some reason, gave me the wrong blood test for seven years, which is what most doctors are giving most Americans. I don't know about Canada, but they only offer the wrong test here, and it's insured. You mean they, oh. they, don't, they don't test properly for mercury poisoning? They don't know the proper test to give? Is that what you're saying? I don't know if they don't know, but they're not giving it. They're giving a test called mercury poisoning blood toxicity, and the test that we need is inorganic mercury test. All right. Well, inorganic, we'll... totally different test, and they don't cross over. So it took me until 2010, desperate to heal. I finally went online one day and got lucky, and there was one lab literally blocks away from where I got poisoned in Louisville, Colorado, and right down the road is Quicksilver Scientific. It's the only lab that I know of that sells um, not only the tri-test for inorganic mercury poisoning, but they really specialize in working on 
this very problem. So I felt like I got really lucky, did the test, and the owner was kind enough to call me, and very politely he said, the good news is we can probably heal you with all the detox that we create here. The bad news is you're one of the worst cases we've ever seen because you let it go seven years because my doctors gave me the wrong blood test. So it was really interesting. When I got the right test, I thought, oh, God, my doctors, they're going to be so grateful, you know, to know that, oops, they have something, you know, that they could do better. So I literally set up an appointment in advance with my doctor, my PA, the office manager, and I took them in this lovely little to-go box that has the whole tri-test in it where they just do everything there, the urine, the hair, the fingernails, and the blood, and then they FedEx it to the lab. Right. And uh, I called every year for three years, and they still won't offer it. And let me guess, guess, when you related this information to them, they weren't particularly thrilled. The first thing they said was, Let me just, oh, uh, Patty, let me, well, let me just hold on. Well, insurance won't cover it. And I said, well, that's fine. I didn't expect them to, but at least give us the option. Charge us whatever you want. Patty, I've got to jump in here. I've got to take a time out. We'll come back. We'll introduce uh, Dr. Christine Bloss as well, doctor of dental surgery. And we'll continue to talk about mercury toxicity with crop circle researcher Patty Greer, survivor of mercury toxicity, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. All right, welcome back. Patty Greer, crop circle researcher, is with us. And uh, she's telling us about her harrowing, well, it's a nightmare, a medical nightmare, mercury toxicity. Uh, She has been suffering with it for over a dozen years, but she's got some good news. Now, let's bring in Dr. Christine Bloss, and let me give her the uh, uh, proper introduction that uh, she certainly deserves. Uh, She received her Bachelor's of Arts in Biology from the University of Illinois. She then earned a Master's in Education, and finally received her Doctor of Dental Surgery, a degree in 1991 from the University of Nebraska, and continued her education with a general practice residency at the Veterans Affairs Medical Center in Lincoln, Nebraska. Since that time, Dr. Bloss has done hundreds of hours of continuing education, following the latest advances in dentistry and oral health, as well as learning about traditional and natural therapies that can promote our good health in the least invasive or toxic manner. Dr. Bloss is a perpetual student, continually educating herself and her staff to provide the best and most effective dental care to her patients. Christine Bloss, Dr. Christine Bloss, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm terrific tonight, thank you. All right. Now, uh, symptoms of mercury toxicity. Uh, what are, I mean, uh, Patty has uh, talked about, you know, her fingertips and open wounds, cuts on her fingers. Um, is that typical or is there typical symptoms? Is it different for everyone? Um, mercury can disrupt almost any organ or system in the body. So it depends on where the mercury goes in the body as to uh, the symptoms that you have. And I think that's part of the reason why uh, medicine and dentistry has been pretty slow to diagnose it is there aren't any single set of symptoms that are universal that everybody has. Um, It it varies. I've had patients with uh, kidney failure. I've had uh, patients with um, uh, it's like a chronic fatigue sort of syndrome, um, sort of mystery illnesses, and I would say modern medicine isn't really very on top of what's going on with mercury. They they aren't educated on good ways to test for it in the human body, and they um, 
they generally aren't offering a whole lot of help in the detox arena either. Sounds a little bit like Lyme disease, not that there's similar diseases, but in, in the, the lack of proper diagnosis and testing. Yep, it's very comparable. All right. Now, uh, uh, Patty, you mentioned uh, inorganic and organic um, yeah. mercury poisoning and the fact that they're not testing for the, or is it the inorganic they're not testing for? Correct. Inorganic means it's what they're making. Right. Okay. And uh, the interesting thing about amalgam fillings that Christine and other dentists have explained is that the, um, the mercury filling or the amalgam filling is typically 50% mercury, 25% silver, and the other 25, depending on which lab, is a mix of three other things that should not be in the human body. Iron, tin, and what's the third one, Christy? Oh, um, they, they can put silver, um, palladium... Um, I, I think in the past there were even times when they put nickel in it. Nowadays, though, um, th- th- it's a variety of metals. I guess that's. And that's these are heavy metals, right? Mercury is a heavy metal. Well, mercury is, but um, silver and um, copper and some of the other metals that they put in the amalgam mixture aren't all heavy metals, but there are still some metals that are undesirable to put in human bodies. Well, they're taking mercury out of uh, vaccines, thimerosal. Uh, why would they, uh, yeah. at least up here in Canada? Yeah, they took it out, but they they uh, used aluminum as an adjuvant, and aluminum is also neurotoxic. So um, I'm, I'm not sure we've made much advance in that area, but right. yes, they did take it out. But why would they take mercury out of vaccines and but continue to use it? And are they continuing to use it in amalgams? Are we talking about the older the older fillings? Right. Um, it's a very political issue. It's it's quite polarizing. In dentistry, there are those who um, who will do amalgam fillings until they retire or die, and they've done it their whole career, and they are fine. And there are those uh, like me that just kind of looked at it and said, "I can't believe this is good. Let's uh, let's see if if we can find a better way." And luckily, there are good alternatives nowadays. I think it, at the point that they started doing amalgam fillings, the only alternative was gold. And the great majority of people at that time couldn't afford gold. So they were looking for a less expensive alternative. And even when it was first introduced uh, in the early 1900s in the U.S., it was quite controversial. There, there were dentists who were adamantly against it. And uh, then there were others who were like, well, we got to take care of the masses. Now, is, is dentistry split on this, or are you seen as a bit of a renegade and a troublemaker because you're speaking out against, um, you know, the, the use of mercury in fillings? Well, um, dentistry is definitely split on this. There are uh, dentists now that advertise themselves as mercury-free, and what they're saying is we aren't putting in new mercury fillings, but they, they don't have any idea of removing the old ones uh, with a safety procedure for the patient. So it's a huge mercury exposure to the patient uh, when they take out the old ones. So is it more dangerous? I mean, if you have mercury in your fillings, what do you suggest? It's best to leave them there or... I mean, no, I know. Um, it, it's best to have them removed, I believe, but to be removed with a safety protocol that protects the patient as best as possible. And actually protects the dentist and the dental staff as well because uh, I'm being exposed every day as well as my staff. It's that dangerous? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's the most toxic, non-radioactive element. 
Patty, how did you have them removed? Well, you know, what she just said is a very serious statement. They're extremely toxic. And what I want to say is that when you get your teeth cleaned, they go in with those little, you know, blowing wands that go brrrr. And what I learned is that if you have silver, mercury-infested fillings, when you have cleanings, it gets lit up in your mouth, and you get this another exposure. Hot coffee, hot drinks, it exposes you to mercury. Basically, you're breathing it with every breath. There's a video on YouTube that really shows it, unfortunately. It's called The Smoking Tooth. Oh, my. It's, yeah, I mean, people just have to know. But again, it's one more thing that just has to be stopped. And so um, how did you I have knew that my doctors were incorrect, but I had no idea they were giving me the wrong blood test. When I finally got the right one, <clears throat> then I started looking for a dentist to get them out. And there is a wonderful thing to know. There's two organizations. One is international. The other is American, I believe. But they give you a list of the dentists, such as Dr. Christine Bloss in Montrose, Colorado, but dentists all around the country that do it safely, this new protocol, which is basically they don't let the mercury blow all down your throat, all around your mouth. It's actually contained and vacuumed out as the dentist is working on you. So it's a much safer protocol. And the two organizations are just initials, I-A-O-M-T. And it's um, international, uh, Christy can tell you the name, I-A-O-M-T, and the other one is DAMS, D-A-M-S, Dental Amalgam Mercury Solutions. And both of those websites give a lot of information, um, more than Christy and I can cover in an hour. And for me, this is not like great for business, why I'm doing this show. I'm doing this show because I'm sick of being poisoned. And the fact that it's still legal is blowing my mind. And thank God there's people like Christy. So I found her through the website that saves your life, the DAMS or the IAOMT. She was listed. I was living in a mountain town called Telluride at like 12,000 feet in the Rockies. I was in the middle of nowhere realizing that I was seriously poisoned. And so she was the closest dentist. So I went um, a number of times uh, driving over the mountain peaks in the peak of winter, slipping and sliding, and uh, I lived through it. But it was not an easy procedure. I think we did three or four sessions getting the six out of my mouth. And the dentist that worked on me was, I don't even want to say, but he must have just done too much mercury over the years that he would have done such a bad job. And it wasn't just that he chose to put in cheap and fast mercury fillings instead of the beautiful white porcelain that I was promised for six grand. But um, when I called the office, he had retired. When I finally got the truth, you know, the real blood test, he had retired. So I started telling the office, you guys better get him to call me because i got to get this off my chest. So finally he calls me from retirement, and I said, I just want you to know you're the one. You changed my life. I can't even tell you what this has cost me on every level, Richard. Hmm. My life is completely different. But on the other hand, my desperation to heal... I was so out of my mind being poisoned and nobody could help me that I went and laid in a crop circle. I was like, I am so desperate. I will do whatever it takes. What haven't I done? 
So I went over to England, laid in a crowd circle, and next thing I knew, my life was completely different. The die was so cast. today yes. I would say very strange blessing, because I'm having a completely different life than I ever did before. And the work that I've done in the crop circles has been astounding. And punchline is, I don't think I could have done it without the mercury. No, you may, you may not have been led down that path. I'm just looking at the slideshow here on our HOA, and I'm looking at a close-up picture of your thumb with uh, oh, with the. Isn't uh, that the, awful? It is, and, and and is it like that all the time, or does it flare up and then go come and go, or is it like that all the time? Uh, for the first bunch of years, I had six fingers like that all the time. Six oh my. fingers, and, and uh, you have never been able to play the harp since. No, and that but was your I livelihood. Did. That was your livelihood, correct? Yeah, I was. I was a professional musician. And when I reached this dentist, when he finally called me from retirement, I said, you're the one that did this. I just wanted you to know I know. And all he said to me was, well, I'm retired. I didn't have to call you. Wow. And all I can say to that is, wow, Mercury Brain is really an amazing thing. And I think Christy can talk to Mercury Brain because although I'm far smarter than I've ever been today, um, I made really stupid decisions when I was, I will say, high on mercury. There is an element oh. to most likely a lot of her clients that might be interesting to hear. I would love to hear about that. Dr. Christine Bloss, mercury yes. brain, tell me about that. Well, you know the traditional, the Mad Hatter in Alice in Wonderland? That's right, from the hat blockers, because uh, they, they use mercury in what, dyeing the, the hats? In the felting process. Right, wow. Yes. And uh, there's also, it, it's well known that a lot of the miners in, um, in the Old West would use mercury to separate gold. I, what they did was they would amalgamate it, and then they would um, basically boil off the mercury. So they'd have these little huts in the mountains where they would be um, boiling the, the uh, mixture that they had, and the mercury vapor would be so high there, they, they would just totally be um, so toxic they would be mad and so um, this is well known that um, that mercury does it is has a high affinity for brain tissue and um, in the dental amalgam uh, arena at least um, there are two issues when you're removing a dental amalgam you are grinding it out and making it into particles the average size is one micron and uh, then the you have to realize that mercury at room temperature is liquid at a little bit higher than room temperature, which would be body temperature, or a little bit higher than that when you put a, a, a dental drill on it. Um, it causes friction, and that creates uh, dental, um, sorry, it, it creates a mercury vapor. Right. Could that and, travel through a surgical mask? Oh, it does. well, the vapor would, and so would the particulate. The very best dental masks uh, filter down to about three microns. I can't hardly breathe through those. I buy ones that are more like five or six microns, and the average particle size is one micron. So are, so, are, are we, are, have you um, been able to sort of track the number of, of dentists who, who are suffering from what you call mercury brain? I mean, is it prevalent in, in dentistry? You know, um, I guess you could say that there are dentists who know that they're mercury poisoned, but most of them are in denial, that they, they insist that they're just fine and they're continuing to treat their patients and not really, uh, it's kind of a puzzle to me. I could see 
dentists may be denying the harm that they're doing to patients, but they're hurting themselves and their staff as well. And so, um, you know, at some point I think that comes home, and I, there are members of the IAOMT that I have met that have been mercury poisoned, and they all have a similar story. They began to develop neurological symptoms, uh, generally tremors or, or some sort of a lack of coordination, and they go to their doctor. Their doctor has no clue, um, does some testing, but um, doesn't really arrive at uh, any conclusion or any help for them. Um, several of them that I've met actually had to quit working as a dentist. Well, uh, I've of- read, excuse me, uh, Dr. Bloss, but I've read, uh, and I think we've all heard, uh, the number of suicides uh, in the dental yes. profession is, is, is inordinately high. And it's the highest of, of all the professions, like yes. you know, law and medicine and dentistry and engineering. Um, Could there the be a connection between mercury poisoning and depression and suicide? I believe that, that there is. All right. Ding, ding, ding. All right. <laughs> Got to take a time out. We'll come back. Dr. Christine Bloss, dental surgeon, crop circle filmmaker researcher Patty Greer, mercury toxicity. It is time to tell this harrowing tale. We will. Back on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Mercury toxicity. We'll find out here in a few moments how many millions of North Americans may be suffering from mercury toxicity. Uh, Dr. Christine Bloss is with us, a doctor of dental surgery and crop circle researcher, filmmaker, Patty Greer, former harpist. Uh, the bad news is, it, um, in many ways, it wrecked her life. Uh, it entered her career as a musician, uh, but it inexplicably uh, changed the trajectory of her life. And uh, the good news is, she became a... Um, a remarkable crop circle filmmaker and researcher, and I guess we have to thank mercury poisoning in some way uh, for that. Uh, but I'm sure, Patty, if there had been another way for you to become a crop circle researcher, you gladly would have accepted. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, what a bizarre round way to get me there. But the interesting thing about taking my hands, and now I want to move the show into kind of going into talking about the extraterrestrial element of what happened to me because I think it's all related. And um, I would have never believed this 10 years ago, and, and uh, certainly 12 years ago. I mean, I had no idea about much of this. But it certainly makes sense to me now. <clears throat> and I'm seeing so many places where the mercury obviously must have made sense in this strange plan of Patty Land. Um, I feel like I've been on a Disneyland ride, frankly. I didn't order any of this, but it certainly showed up. So I went over to the crop circles, and I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't do any research. I didn't watch movies. I just had friends that were close, and they had just come back from the crop circles. And I was talking with them, and I'm very psychically intuitive. And while they're talking, I just looked at them and interrupted said, What's so different about you? Why do you both look so different? And they said, we just came back from the crop circles, and then they kept gabbing away, and I, next thing I knew, six weeks later, I was over there. And they had said miracles happened with healing and all this. Well, I didn't have any miracle with healing. I had a miracle with a major distraction. Hmm. So, But this was like was, a Hail Mary pass for you. You thought, well, let's go lie down in a crop circle and see if I can get some relief. Right, or jump on a spaceship if it shows up. I would have done anything. High dive off 10 stories if they said, really, you can heal down there. I would have jumped. Mm. You know, I mean, to lose your hands, the tips, 
you know, you don't even realize again. But I'm not going to do the wah because I'm not crying about it anymore. But it took me a few years, I can tell you, to get good at this. Mm -hmm. Um, On the other hand, when you have intelligence enough to say I'm not going to go kill myself, you have to find another way. So rather than whining about not having my hands, I had to figure out, God, what other body part can I use? Thank God I chose my brain. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been running my pendulum during the break because I have never admitted what I'm going to say, but I really feel like the only reason I'm doing this is to help people heal. This is a horrible nightmare. And... Um, I did something very unusual, and I live in Boulder, Colorado, where it's legal in Colorado to use THC. Mm -hmm. And I never talk about the fact that I did use THC because I don't want people to point and say, oh, her crop circle wisdom, she's, you know, using that. Right, right, right. It has no correlation, in my opinion, other than I'm freaking smarter than I've ever been right now. Could be because I'm not using my hands and out there playing music and smoky bars. Um, you well, know, it's, not a, it's not a psychedelic. It's not a psychedelic drug. It's not a, it doesn't work that way. No, it's actually real medicine. Mm-hmm. And I think the interesting thing about all these um, doctors that are really admitting that solid pure oil is healing people from cancer, nobody's talking about mercury poisoning, so I'm going to tell you the truth. And this is so off the wall that when I told Dr. Bloss last night, it surprised her. What happened was when I finally realized that my doctors were, I'll politely say, misleading me for seven years, got the real test, got with Dr. Bloss, and got the stuff out. It took weeks because I had to drive the mountain pass repeatedly. She was wise enough to not do them all at the same time and really nail me. So it was a bunch of sessions and spread out over probably a month or so. Mm-hmm. And during the course of that, it, it, I still wasn't healing, but at least I took the poison out of my system and began the process. Um, so, um, you, you were mentioning no cannabis oil. Did, did, did that help at all? Well, so I, I, I was using it for the pain. The ah, okay. pain was insurmountable because I had these cuts on my fingers. So I, I go to Boulder, Colorado, to this clinic that has this big file biofeedback machine. They hooked up my brain, they hooked up my spine, which I would never do today, and plugged me in. And these two ladies are on both sides watching all the dials move, and they looked at me and they said, wow, you've got really high mercury levels. And I went, yeah, I know, red zone. But then they kept looking at each other puzzled, and I said, ladies, talk to me, I'm hooked up to your gear. And they said, well, this this doesn't seem humanly possible. And I said, that's a funny way to put it. I do work with ETs. <laughs> they were like, what? And I said, never mind, go on. And they said, well, your brain is actually functioning in the early low 90 percentiles, and you're in the red zone for mercury poisoning. This is not possible. Hmm. And so they're staring at each other, and finally one says to me, do you use the medicine, THC? And I said, yes, I do. And they looked at each other and nodded. I said, ladies, talk to me. And she said, I'm not supposed to say this out loud, but the truth is, it saved your brain. You, seven years, this level of mercury poisoning should be brain dead today. And you are functioning in the 90 percentiles. This is completely abnormal. And I will tell you and your audience, thank God, thank you God for THC, or I would be brain dead. And what happened to me as never being an intellect, 
I mean, I'm telling you, I was a musician. I wrote songs, love songs and whining songs about not love and drama songs about we want our planet back, let's save this earth. But, you know, intellectual and hanging out with the people I do today at the top of the UFO field, and I can answer any question, something happened to my brain. All right. Uh, I'll get Dr. Bloss to respond to that in just a moment. We're going to head on into a break. Okay. And uh, we'll also find out about some of the other methods that you have used, Patty, uh, to overcome mercury toxicity, or at least to, I guess, lessen the effects. We won't say you're cured quite yet, uh, but she's working on it. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Patty Greer is with us. She can no longer play the harp, but she makes one hell of a crop circle movie. Go to her website, uh, pattygreer.net, pattygreer, G-R-E-E-R, dot net, and uh, there uh, you'll see a list of her crop circle movies. Please uh, order one and uh, support her fine work. Uh, Dr. Christine Bloss is with us, a doctor of dental surgery. She's a member of the American Dental Association and also the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology, I-A-O-M-T, and the Echo Dentistry Association. We are talking about mercury toxicity, mercury poisoning, heavy metal poisoning. Uh, Dr. Bloss, how many, I don't know if you have any figures on Canadians, but... How many North Americans or Americans are walking around with uh, mercury in their teeth? Oh, you know, I do not know in numbers. Um, it's, it's in the millions and probably hundreds of millions. I, you know, they uh, talk about the avalanche of Alzheimer's patients that are coming down the pike, and all of those patients have these honking big old mercury fillings in their back teeth. And I personally just have a suspicion that it's all related. Mercury uh, poisoning and Alzheimer's, what about Parkinson's? Um, I, I believe there could be a connection with Parkinson's also. They're, they're both neurological related, and mercury has a high affinity for our nerve tissue, so I, I believe they could be related. Um, before the break, you were talking about um, symptoms, ability to think and process information due to mercury, and I, uh, I have observed and I've heard patients tell me many times that they felt they had something that they refer to as brain fog. It's, it's sort of like uh, there's a haze over your brain, and you, you know that it's there, and you just can't seem to get out from under it. You just feel like you're working through a thick fog, and um, that, that is one of the symptoms of, of the mercury uh, affecting the brain. I have that all the time, but unfortunately, I can't use I can't, <laughs> can't use mercury poisoning as a uh, as an excuse because I'm I'm one of the fortunate. Uh, you know, I've never had a cavity. I'm going to be oh, 50, yes, 52 so next week, and I've never had a cavity. <laughs> I have to say, in Patty's case, though, um, her hands made me want to cry. I I've never seen anything like that. That is cruel. A harp player, and you lose. The use of your hands, that is just cruel. Well, more than that, I mean, just imagine she couldn't comb her hair. She couldn't do her dishes. You just think of all the things you do with your hands every day. That uh, She was wearing gloves all the time just uh, to protect her hands because the skin was so friable. So um, given that, Patty's mind was always very clear. I didn't know at the time that she was 
using cannabis to um, help her deal with the pain, although I'm not surprised at all. But um, with uh, what, what's going on in Colorado, is there sort of been an opening with the medical marijuana and now recreational marijuana? Uh, there's a lot more talk about it, and particularly the medicinal benefits. Yes, and, and some the of the... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Was yeah. explained to me mm-hmm. was that the THC had actually wound around my brainstem and protected it. That's how they described it. And it just astounded me. But I don't want to end the show with a pity party for Patty in the least, because here's the most interesting thing. All those years I played music, 33, I made all these CDs in the studio and wrote all this music, la, la, la. And here I am now. I, I go lay in crop circles. I start having interactions with extraterrestrials uh, with effort, without any effort. Um, it was like my telepathy has been unbelievable, and I think that the mercury had something to do with it. And the information that I received to make these movies was constant and insurmountable because I did no research. This is six films in five years, full feature films. I held the camera. I have no training. I'm not technical. I couldn't tell you today any of the names of the parts on my camera other than lens and backside. (laughs) Short of that, I'm seriously not a pro, but I did make these movies with this bizarre mercury mind. And so I feel like as I look back, I've got these six movies. All the soundtracks are my music. How did I know 30, 40 years ago to write the songs for these movies? And so I have to look at this amazing miracle like, oh, my God, was this always planned? And with no training, the movies have been, like I said, totally telepathic with whoever they are making the crop circles. The movies won a lot of awards really quickly because they proved that crop circles were real completely fearlessly. And because I had this dang mercury brain and my hands in gloves, I had three different movie distributors over the years completely trick me and hide my movies. So even though I've done these amazing films that really tell the truth, I've had zero income and zero experience exposure from, for some reason, these people called distributors are actually have been suppressors. And what a bizarre thing that I would have fallen for it. And I think that's where the mercury brain didn't work for me. My discernment with people has not been good over the years, but my openness to extraterrestrial contact has been phenomenal. So you kind of give some, you lose some, but the movies are over the top with they're so real, and I do invite people to go to the website, pattygreer.net, P-A-T-T-Y-G-R-E-E-R.net. All the shows I've done with Richard have been about crop circles, their messages, the science behind them, and I would never talk about the mercury poisoning. When people meet me, when I'm out speaking, whatever, I don't shake hands. I don't tell them why. I just, you know, hold up a Band-Aid on one of my fingers and go, oh, I'm hurt. I don't really want to go into the mercury story. But there are too many people suffering from it, and the symptoms are easily recognizable. Hello, you're human. You have silver mercury fillings in your teeth. You got poison going in your system. Right, Christy? Right. And I would say I think our bodies are amazing in our ability to detox and overcome but there's a threshold 
And when you get over that threshold, then things begin to go haywire. And so the goal for all of us is to keep our toxicity level under that threshold, which, of course, is different for each of us. And so uh, when people ask me if they should have their mercury fillings removed uh, to be politically expedient in the climate uh, today with uh, organized dentistry, I typically say that um, it actually is against the dental practice law for me to tell anybody that they should remove their mercury fillings uh, from a health standpoint. However, if they don't like the way they look, they can request it, and that is acceptable. Now, are we a little bit convoluted (laughs) in our uh, thinking? Yeah, yeah, well, you're having to walk a fine line here, but let me ask you straight out. I mean, is there a... Is there the potential here for a class action lawsuit against, I don't know, the, a, a, the, um, the American Dental Association or the, the, the manufacturers? Or of, the FDA. Or the FDA, um, yes. That's part of the reason why it's become such a polarizing issue in the U.S. Everybody sues for everything, and uh, therefore you can't admit there's anything wrong with anything or there's a fear of a class action lawsuit. So I, I believe that's why we've... Um, got to the point where we're not progressing like uh, uh, the European countries and uh, Japan and China and Brazil. There are many countries in the world that have outlawed mercury fillings, but we can't seem to get to that point because we can't admit there's anything wrong. I've only got about three minutes here. and um, we're Let's gonna have talk to... about detox. Yes, please. Yeah. Okay, so the lab that I got help from is called QuicksilverScientific.com. You can find them online. They sell inorganic mercury test. Cilantro is very good. It's called the mercury tri-test is the test that you're looking for. The mercury tri-test, okay. So that is the lab that offers the the actual test and detox products, but um, there are so many different things offered. You just have to be so careful. The thing that you have to be the most careful with is when you decide, yes, I can afford it, I am worth it, I'm going to get these fillings out, make sure you go to the right dentist who's got the vacuum on the tooth, like Dr. Christy Bloss does in Montrose, Colorado. Make sure you get a good dentist or you're going to make yourself really sick with the removal. Right, Christy? Oh, absolutely. Well, again, everybody's threshold is different, so there are some people that seem to sail through it. But who who can say that the accumulated accumulative other toxins in our life um, don't put us over the limit. Again, you just want to keep that your, your toxicity level as low as possible. Well, I read one report, uh, Christine, and they're talking about eating canned food, and that can increase your organic mercury uh, um, by something like a thousand percent. Um, you're talking about canned fish? Um, well, I, I think I'm not, I think fish was included, but I think just maybe the leaching of uh, from the cans. I don't know. Aluminum, yeah. None of it's good. None of it's good. And I think one more punchline I want to hit before the show's the show is over is who's running the FDA? Who is running the FDA? Well, golly gosh, look at that! It's the vice president of Monsanto, the head of the FDA since 2010. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. And do we see a problem here? No, look over here. There's no problem over there. Look well, over hey, here. Look over there. <laughs> the, the FDA in the U.S. has refused, the, the law is requiring them to classify amalgam. And when they classify it, they will not be able to avoid classifying it as the toxic substance that it is. And then the sequelae will be that um, dental mercury 
will be gone. And uh, they have just refused to classify. They just there, there's no um, law that oversees the FDA particularly, although the IAOMT right now has a lawsuit going against the FDA requiring them to fulfill what the law is requiring, which is to classify amalgam fillings. And when they do that, then uh, we will see in the U.S. that they will become illegal or or not allowed to be used. But uh, we're not there yet. All right. Uh, It's an ongoing lawsuit. Christine, let me give out your website as well. That's Montrose, Colorado, M-O-N-T-R-O-S-E, MontroseColoradoDentist.com, and it's pattygreer.net, but I've linked up to both of your sites at uh, strangeplanet.ca, so just go to tonight's show and click on uh, Dr. Bloss's name or Patty Greer's name, and that'll take you right to their websites. Thank you both for this. You're welcome. Thank you, and thank you, Dr. Bloss. You saved my life. She's amazing. She did amazing work, and I was a mess when I got there. I mean, what a thing to go through. Nobody should do this to people. So bless you, Christy, and thank you, Richard, for your amazing shows. All right. My pleasure, Dr. Bloss. Thank you as well. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate the chance to help educate some, some people who are unsuspecting. All right. We'll, uh, we'll do another show down the road and talk more about uh, the detox. Sound okay. good? All right. Excellent. Good. All right. Good night to you both. All right, strangeplanet.ca is the website, strangeplanet.ca. Hey, uh, all three seasons of the Conspiracy Television Program now available in the U.S. on Hulu and Amazon.com. Season 4 coming to Vision TV across Canada soon. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. And as always, follow the truth. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. On Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Your long haul truck, taxi cab, RV, camper, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. It's so wonderful to be here with you once again. A special hello to all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio AM 740 and 96.7 FM here in Toronto. And hello to all of you listening in on one of our growing roster of affiliates, uh, those streaming us on zoomerradio.ca or on the Zoomer app, which is a free download, or the Conspiracy Show app, also a free download. Um, And, uh, of course, the podcasts, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn.com, iTunes, and TalkZone.com. However, and wherever you're listening, I welcome you to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is with us once again for the full hour uh, tonight. Uh, Last week, we had a caller. We were doing open lines, and right near the end of the program, I believe it was Bill. Was it Bill Albert? Do you remember? I think it was a guy named Bill who called in. And uh, he was having a problem with a clown doll uh, that his wife had inherited, I gather, from a friend or relative who'd passed away. So the, re- the, the clown doll had recently come into the home, and his wife refused to part with the clown doll. Uh, But this thing was giving the caller the creeps, to say the least. And I can understand. A lot of people have a strange, some might even call it an irrational fear of clowns. And then, I mean, all clowns, you know, the kind that you see in circuses and so forth, or twisting uh, balloons into animals at uh, children's parties. Others are creeped out uh, by dolls. Uh, so now when you're talking clown dolls, it's double the trouble. So I told the caller that I would mention 
uh, this or discuss this, his clown doll problem, his clown doll dilemma, if you will, uh, to Rosemary Ellen Guiley tonight. Um, before we get to that, I want to mention uh, next week on the program, remote viewer, clairvoyant, medical intuitive, and healer, uh, Dr. Douglas James Cottrell will be here with his predictions for 2016, and also past life regression therapist, uh, Dr. Elena Gabor uh, will also be here. That's next week on The Conspiracy Show. Uh, I have to tell you, uh, speaking of the year ahead, 2016, uh, I don't know about you, but for me uh, and mine, it's gotten off to a bit of a rocky start. Uh, and I'm not going to bore you with uh, details. Let's be honest. Everyone has uh, problems. Uh, we've had our share. Uh, but we start talking with, with friends and, um, uh, and others, and we're finding out so many people uh, are ill or losing their jobs uh, or they're unemployed, underemployed, having some other financial problems. Just everyone seems to be under a great deal of pressure, on edge. Uh, and I don't know whether you call it a string of bad luck. Um, some people call it the evil eye, a curse perhaps. So I thought we, we could get into that as well uh, with Rosemary. And if you, if you feel like maybe you could be living under a curse uh, or under the evil eye, and those that sort of... Uh, uh, whose ancestors come from the Mediterranean region, those cultures in the Mediterranean subscribe to the idea of the evil eye. Uh, we can talk about that as well. Um, also, we'll talk about haunted objects because, and there is kind of a connection, uh, sometimes what we think of as a string of bad luck or a curse might be related to a haunted or possessed object that's recently been brought into the home. You go to the uh, the flea market. You bring back a, an antique bonnet chest or some, you know, costume jewelry, and you don't realize, but you've brought something into the house, and some something has hitched a ride on that particular object, like our caller last week with the clown doll. So we'll get into all of that over the next uh, forty-five, fifty minutes. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is one of the leading experts on the paranormal with more than 60 books. That's six zero. 60 books published by major houses on a wide range of paranormal, spiritual, mystical topics, including nine single-volume encyclopedias. Her work is translated into 15 languages. She's worked full-time in the paranormal since 1983, researching, investigating, writing, and presenting and teaching. Her present work focuses on interdimensional entity contact experiences of all kinds, technological and mediumistic spirit communication, spiritual growth and development, problem hauntings, and portals, or geographic areas of intense paranormal activity. Rosemary, how are you? Hi, Richard. I'm doing well, and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. And you, you get in just under the wire because today's the cutoff. After this, you can't say that anymore. <laughs> Can't say it anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, you've written about possessed furniture, furniture and jewelry and things in, in Haunted by the Things You Love. Uh, that was with John Zaffis, correct? Yes. And this has been uh, an area of investigation for me for quite some time because uh, many hauntings that people call uh, paranormal investigators about wind up being related to an object that seems to have a spirit attachment to it. 
Right. We should mention John Zaffis was the host of The Haunted Collector. That was on the Sci-Fi Channel, I believe. Yes, and it <clears throat> it ran for three seasons, and uh, John has had uh, years and years of experience with haunted objects. In fact, he has uh, a private museum that has thousands of objects in it that he has collected over the past several decades. And the two of you, uh, can I say, I hope I'm not telling tales out of school, are you not working on another one? Can we talk we about it? We are, that? yes. Okay. Uh, we're doing another book on haunted objects, and this one is going to focus on cases that have a more sinister twist to it, you know, a very demonic twist. Uh, where people have more intense problems. Uh, A lot of haunted objects will cause a lot of mischief, you know, the spirits attached, a lot of mischief. Still very unpleasant, but much easier to deal with than something that has uh, a really malevolent being riding along with it. Uh, A colleague of mine, I won't mention names because he told me not to, but a colleague of mine in the business, um, oh, I guess back in the fall, I think it was, uh, purchased some chairs. They were antique chairs. He brought them into the house. And then, uh, within days, he started seeing shadow people. And he had never even heard of shadow people until he heard you and I discussing it on the air. And I said, I bet you it's those chairs. And he took them out into the, I guess, into the back. He's got a garage or something in the back, and he put a tarpaulin over them, and um, uh, the problem seemed to, to, to go away. Uh, but it's not always sort of a manifestation uh, associated with the object. It could just be um, like a heavy feeling or uh, what might be interpreted as a string of bad luck, ill health, losing a job. Is that right? Yes, there's quite a range of symptoms that go along with haunted objects. And the most common is a sudden change in the atmosphere of a home where, just as you said, the air kind of just feels heavy, there's an oppressed feeling, an ominous feeling. Uh, People might feel watched by unseen presences. There may be uh, poltergeist disturbances, odd noises that they hadn't heard before, Um, objects suddenly being misplaced in very peculiar ways. And uh, depending upon um, what, whatever is attached to the object, shadow people uh, are also common, dark forms seen flitting around. And then uh, in some of the worst cases, people are personally affected. They begin having nightmares. Um, they feel uh, cold sensations throughout the house. Um, they start to worry a lot, feel very uh, anxious all the time, even depressed. They might have runs of bad luck, even accidents. And uh, things can go downhill. And uh, give us a – I mean, what are some of the more common objects? It's not, I'm thinking, something that is necessarily um, an auspicious – not auspicious. That's not the word I'm looking for. Um, It's not necessarily an obvious thing like, like a large piece of furniture. It could be something quite small, correct? Absolutely, Richard. In fact, anything can have a spirit attachment to it. And uh, in Haunted by the Things You Love, we have a representative sample of things. We wanted to show, like, the variety of objects, uh, jewelry, clothing items, uh, even religious items. We have religious statues uh, and holy books that have come with uh, very pesky spirits, uh, mirrors, um, uh, books, paintings, sculptures, uh, knickknacks, you name it, um, it, anything has the potential uh, for a spirit to attach to it. And the most common of all is, and, and your friend's not going to like this, it's the clown doll. Ah, ha, ha, bingo. 
I suspected as much. And the word I was looking for was conspicuous. I don't know what's wrong, wrong with me. We were talking about mercury toxicity uh, recently, and uh, there's something called mercury brain, and maybe I have that a little bit of that. Um, so, again, it's not just big pieces of heavy furniture. You go to the flea market, you bring home a chest of drawers, or you, you bring in a, you know, you buy a grand piano. Uh, it could be a, a little ring. I mean, it could be something you put away and you've forgotten about it. You don't even know you have it anymore. Uh, yes, and sometimes we've had to go through quite a process of elimination uh, to figure out uh, uh, an attached object in a haunting case. Sometimes it's rather obvious. You know, we, we ask people, uh, you know, have you brought anything into the house uh, at about the time when the unusual activity started? And uh, if people are constantly acquiring things, they, they might not even be able to think of something. But sometimes it's obvious and sometimes it's not. Uh, and um, a lot of personal items like clothing and jewelry, um, things that people wore in the hair, uh, shoes, uh, these acquire the uh, literally the personal vibrations of former owners. And in, in many cases, uh, these things are not going to bother anybody, you know, uh, because we, we acquire secondhand things all the time. Everybody does, and not well, everything's going to have a problem to it. Now but more than ever. Now more than ever. energy uh, that's literally imbued into the object that uh, it becomes uh, noticeable to the new owner, and uh, spirits uh, also will, uh, if they've been, like, attracted to a person, they could uh, lodge on a personal object, and then they remain with that object. And I was going to say that... Um... Now, with you have Craigslist down in the U.S., right? And Kijiji, yes, we do. Kijiji. Now, I mean, there's a, a, an explosion. Nobody, no, you know, everyone's trying to be careful with their money. So now everyone's buying secondhand on Craigslist and Kijiji. Uh, so everyone, you know, and clothes, uh, secondhand clothing dealers. Um, you know, going up there. You, if you, if you, if you know your your labels and so forth, you can get great deals on on even vintage clothing and 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 uh, and so forth, really cheap at some of these secondhand places. Um, so, I mean, people are. I mean, is there? A, have you noticed sort of a correlation between the rise of places like Craigslist and Kijiji and these secondhand shops with with haunted objects? Well, we certainly have seen an increase in cases, and uh, in the case of uh, paranormal activity, it's often hard to ascertain how much of it might be just an increase in self-reporting, because people are hearing more about these things and coming forward, versus an actual increase. But I do think that um, there is an actual increase because of um, more people turning to secondhand uh, items. And um, we just had, um, my husband and I just had a case recently. We have a lot of secondhand things in the house. We love to go antiquing into the estate uh, shops and um, rarely have uh, a problem with anything. But we uh, recently acquired uh, a very nice mid-century Chinese liquor cabinet and uh, quite handsomely done with, uh, you know, the inlay and... Uh, it had two centered drawers that had pulls on them, and the drawers opened from the center out. And uh, we've uh, spiffed it all up, polished it, stocked it up. And um, the next day when we got up, the two brass poles had been uh, turned upside down and inward and crossed over each other oh boy. so Listen, tightly ro- that ro- we could not get them apart to get the doors open. All right, Rosemary, we'll, uh, we'll get to the... Uh 
the punchline of that story. When we come back, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, paranormal researcher, the website visionaryliving.com, haunted objects. Back with more. Stay with us. Welcome back, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, paranormal investigator. Haunted by the Things You Love, question mark, uh, co-written by John Zaffis, host of The Haunted Collector, which aired for three seasons on the Sci-Fi Channel. And we are talking about just that, haunted objects, uh, possessed objects, and also... Uh, now, let's say, for example, Rosemary, that someone is having what they would characterize as a string of bad luck. Maybe somebody in the house gets ill and then they lose their job. I mean, how could that be related, or is it related, to a haunted or possessed object? You'd have to look for a syndrome of things going on. Um, everybody has bad luck every now and then, and uh, it wouldn't necessarily be related to spirit activity. But if it's part of other things that uh, had uh, an onset at a certain time. It would be um, the activity in the house, shadow figures, a change in the atmosphere, uh, feelings of being watched, uh, perhaps nightmares, odd uh, shadows darting around. If, if there's a syndrome of things that includes bad luck and perhaps some unusual mishaps, um, then we start to think about uh, spirit activity, spirit interference. And why would the the spirit or the demon? Uh, well, if it's a demon, obviously we would know why they would be would, would they they would be doing that. You know, they're they're trying to you know wear us down and so forth. But is it is it a malicious spirit that is deliberately trying to do that, or is it some other some other result? I mean, why why would a haunted object be causing someone to have you know? Um, Ill fortune, losing a job, getting sick. It, it depends on the kind of spirit that is attached to something, and uh, as a spirit might reside in a dormant state uh, for quite some time until they get into the right environment. You know, our consciousness interacts with things, and the energy of place interacts with things, and sometimes that can really liberate something that's been asleep for uh, for quite a while. And uh, sometimes spirits are unhappy. Uh, they uh, the objects have been removed from uh, another location. Uh, they don't like the new location, and if they're energized enough, they can break break free and start to act out. And uh, some of them do have ill intent toward people, uh, and they might have deliberately attached to objects as a way of uh, then latching onto an environment or another person. And when they're energized by a host environment or person, uh, then that enables them to interfere in whatever's going on in, in a person's life. And uh, there do seem to be quite a few spirits of malevolent intent that like to cause uh, mischief and upset and uh, discord and chaos. And why clown dolls? Uh, is it because they're just so popular and, and so beloved by certain people that that object is more likely to be attached well, dolls in general are the number one uh, object, I think, because they're substitutes for human beings. And clown dolls in particular, and a lot of it has to do with our phobias about clowns. In fact, so many people have a fear of clowns that it actually has a name. It's called coulrophobia, and it's fear of clowns. 
And uh, psychologists say that um, this may be because clowns are very exaggerated. They're kind of deformed in a way. You know, they have exaggerated features, sometimes misshapen or out-of-proportion bodies. They have leering sort of looks. And um, uh, it's very unsettling to a lot of people. Uh, and uh, a lot of people will, will react unconsciously uh, to clown dolls with that kind of apprehension. And even if a clown doll uh, has no particular spirit attachment to it, a lot of people don't even like to have them around. And uh, they, they are far and away, uh, in terms of the cases that John and I have done, far and away the number one uh, problem object when it comes to spirit attachments. Um, and uh, this sort of evil clown uh, idea that we have, this is a fairly new phenomenon. We can uh, look at uh, the Joker from Batman, which goes back to about the 1940s. Um, Stephen King really cemented it in the 1980s with It. Uh, and uh, John so Wayne Gacy. Hollywood has used, you know, the killer clown sort of thing as as a horror theme, and that really adds to our our natural fear of clowns. Not to go too far off on a tangent here, but uh, I have also read, and I'm not sure if it was from Dr. David Jacobs, but uh, alien abductees, uh, even before they discover uh, through hypnosis or regression that they have been abducted, often. This seems to be a common thread. A lot of abductees have what they perceive as this um, uh, irrational fear of clowns. Is there a connection between a fear of clowns and alien abductions? Well, there may well be, uh, because so many of these abduction experiences have to be brought out under regression, and they're not conscious experiences. But it could very well be that um, and I'm speculating here because I've, I've read the same, uh, the same sorts of accounts, that um, if there are alien beings who, whose per, part of the purpose in the abduction is to instill fear in people as a way of uh, being able to manipulate them, uh, they might know that human beings have a natural phobia uh, about clowns and be able to shapeshift into that kind of guise. Uh, as a way of dis- both disguising themselves and also instilling fear in the victim. Now, your co-author on Haunted by the Things You Love, John Zaffis, again, the uh, haunted collector from the uh, the Sci-Fi Channel, um, he has a collection. Did you say 7,000 uh, objects in this museum? Well, several thousand. Several thousand. Uh, several, and it's it, his um, museum is just absolutely stuffed to the gills because John has been collecting for a little over 30 years now. Uh, a lot of times when we go out on cases, uh, people do not want the object anymore. They want it removed from the premises, and that will quite often take care of the problem, just getting it out of the house. They don't want it anymore, and uh, so um, John will take uh, take them and add to his collection. And uh, he's neutralized uh, uh, the objects before they go into the museum. Oh, I was going to ask whether he did. Finds them, uh, you know, cleanses them with uh, light and energy, salt and prayer. Uh, if the object has had a very bad spirit attachment to it, he will... Uh, uh, bind the spirit to the object or send, send it away, you know, neutralize the object. But even so, that museum has some strange activity in it, and uh, there are still some objects down there that will give people uh, a, 
a negative reaction when they're near them. They don't like the energy of the objects. I've had uh, very strange EVPs down there. Uh, when John and I were, were uh, working on the book, and like we're doing on the second book, um, I will go over to the museum and, and we'll go around the museum and pick um, objects that have really good histories behind them. And um, John will talk about the object and I record it on a digital recorder. And I have had EVPs show up on my recording, you know, mystery voices uh, from that museum. So there's still residual activity. Uh, a friend of mine whose stage name is Vlad, I love this name, Vlad Eisengrim, and he, he runs um, the, the largest circus sideshow uh, and one of the longest-running circus sideshows in Canada. And he had a, a – it was through a, government, a U.S. government auction. He acquired a ventriloquist dummy named Waldo uh, that was made by the same um, – I'm not sure what you call the, the people that make these, I guess a puppet maker that made uh, ventriloquist dummies for uh, Edgar Bergen. Uh, so, you know, Charlie McCarthy and, and Mortimer Snurd. And there is quite a story behind uh, Waldo. This, uh, he, he calls it the homicidal dummy. And it's changed hands a number of times. And uh, the, the first owner, uh, back in the vaudeville days, was found dead in his dressing room just before showtime, even though the door only uh, locked from the inside and there was no one else in the room. Uh, but they apparently, on this ventriloquist uh, um, artist, they found tiny little fist marks all over his body. He was beaten to death. It looked like a, by a small child. Uh, and then Waldo, you know, went on to another family and there was a huge gas explosion. Everyone in the house died, seven people or something like that. And the only thing that was not destroyed was Waldo. Um, uh, so, uh, ventriloquist dummies, uh, creep a lot of people out. Um, does, uh, John Zaffis have anything like that in his museum? Um, off the top of my head, I don't, <clears throat> I don't recall seeing any ventriloquist dummies there. We have lots and lots of dolls of varying kinds and, and sizes. And, um, but the thing about the, the ventriloquist dummy is here's an object that uh, has literally been imbued with a personality and its own, its own spirit. It's, uh, got, uh, it's made to talk. Um, they, the dummies are given, you know, quirky personalities by the ventriloquist. And this makes for an ideal housing for a spirit to come in and occupy. Uh, and uh, so it doesn't surprise me that uh, dummies uh, would be problematic. And I'm, having just watched the Twilight Zone marathon over uh, New Year's, I love it every year, uh, there are a couple of shows um, that Twilight Zone did where uh, the ventriloquist dummies um, start to take on their own uh, independent personality and sort of run amok. Of course. Then there was the great um, movie with Anthony Hopkins called Magic. This was his first American film, I believe, back in the mid-'70s with Burgess Meredith, who was often on Twilight Zone. Um, I mean, that's if you haven't seen that movie, that's just... Uh, that's an amazing, it's a thriller, but um, uh, he had a, Vlad Eisengrim had a psychic come to his uh, place and without mentioning anything about the, uh, what he calls the homicidal dummy, without mentioning anything about Waldo, the psychic went to the back of the room, zeroed in on the, um, the dummy and said, this dummy has killed and was able to discover, uh, uh, using their psychic ability, that the dummy was fashioned the wood came from 
a hangman's tree. So that may have had something to do with it, I'm guessing. Well, it certainly could, because um, any wood from the gallows uh, would have a long, and this is in folklore, a long folklore history of being cursed. Um, violent death would be associated with violent death, and a lot of spirits are attracted to the energy of that. It enables them to latch on. It's like a, a burst of an energetic opening that um, makes it possible for some of them to break through into this reality. And, um, you know, that's interesting what you brought up about wood, because we find the same thing with masks, wooden masks, and uh, many problems with masks. Well, masks in, in tribal societies, the uh, original purpose of a mask is to house a spirit. Uh, that's what it's made for, right, and yeah. it is made from, uh, in certain areas, we've got a case in Haunted uh, by the Things You Love where we talk about a mask from the Ivory Coast region of Africa, where the masks were made from certain trees, and of course, uh, spirits live in trees, and so permission would be obtained from the spirit of the tree to take the wood to make the mask, and so the mask is fashioned to house a spirit, it's literally animated, and those are used in rituals then uh, to enable those spirits to participate in the ritual and come into the world of, of human beings. But the spirit resides in the mask. And so collectors go around and uh, they buy some of these masks. Many are made are just for the tourist trade, and so they're really inert. But uh, if someone would happen to get a real ritual mask uh, and then take it out of its native environment and uh, put it up on a wall as a decoration, well, the spirit in the mask is not going to be happy. And uh, that was the case in, in, in uh, the story we tell in the book where um, this mask from Africa uh, was acquired in an estate shop and uh, was put up on a wall. And then uh, the owner of the house, who was a doctor, did not believe in the paranormal or, or anything supernatural, started experiencing the, the syndrome of things that we've been talking about. And uh, at first she thought it was her. She was having a breakdown. She goes to doctors. They give her, um, you know, tranquilizers to take time off. Everything gets worse. Finally, she finds John, and um, the problem was, was taken care of. Um, but we need to take these things seriously. Spirits live in uh, certain objects by design, and then they can also um, attach themselves to objects. Have we learned nothing from the Brady Bunch who traveled to Hawaii on the series finale in 1973, and Greg Brady purchased that cursed tiki doll? Uh, apparently we have not. Anyway, Rosemary Ellen Guiley is with us, paranormal researcher, her website, visionaryliving.com. We are talking about Haunted Objects, the book Haunted by the Things You Love, co-author John Zaffis, The Haunted Collector. We have to finish up with that haunted Chinese liquor cabinet. When we come back, we'll do just that. I would love to hear from you if you've got what you believe is a haunted or possessed object. Uh, perhaps you recently brought something into your house, visited a flea market, garage sale, second-hand store, brought something on Craigslist, Kijiji, and... The moment you cross the threshold with that object, nothing has been the same. A string of bad luck, illness, uh, unemployment, financial problems, relationship problems, or just, you know, manifestations. Uh, years ago, I think I've told you the story, Rosemary, at another radio station, I was producing a talk show, and a, a couple contacted me. They had uh, a, um, 
a bench that had been carved out of wood, and it had、uh, the back of it on the back. It was carved. It it looked to be like an image of Satan, but I think it was. I did a little research. It looked to be the、uh, the Greek god Bacchus, which is the the god of wine. Uh, but the moment they bought, they brought this into their house again. A string of bad luck, and they contacted me because they wanted to find out how to get rid of it. So they actually brought it into the studio, and、uh, we had someone there to、uh, to cleanse it and so forth.、Uh, and we actually、uh, we auctioned it off on the air.、Um, but、um, I don't know. That was a strange one because it was in the it was in the station overnight. They brought it in the night before. And I did, nothing really bad happened, and I was kind of tempting fate. I guess at that time I was、uh, a non-believer in the unseen world, and I was, I,、um, I actually was sitting on it、uh, during the day and saying, "See, nothing's going to happen."、Um, but I'm wondering, I mean, when you bring something like that into your house,、uh, do you, if 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 it's causing you problems, is it something that you can take care of yourself, or do you need a professional, someone like John Zaffis or yourself,、uh, to remove? Uh, or to bind it, as,、uh, or can you just follow some instructions? And、uh, how, how is that done? Well, quite often you can take care of the problem yourself, and the simplest solution is to remove the object from your premises.、Uh, and when people do that, even if they take it out to like a storage shed or even out into a garage,、uh, they will notice an immediate improvement in、uh, the phenomena and in the atmosphere of the home. And so、um, some people will just get get rid of an object.、Uh, it's you know they'll throw it out, put it in the trash,、uh, and、um, who knows what happens to it after that.、Uh, sometimes the if there is a spirit attached to an object, and、um, there may just be like residual energy too. For example, if someone has used something, and let's say they were very depressed or Uh, sad a lot, and those feelings got imbued into an object. Then、uh, someone who's sensitive to that can can pick up on that. Well, objects can be cleansed, and、uh, they can be neutralized. And the most common way to do that is uh, to uh, immerse it in sea salt for a while. Sea salt is a purification agent.、Uh, you can also expose it to sunlight, and sometimes putting it in a dish of sea salt and then setting it out in the sun. Uh, and saying prayers over it with um, uh, light, you know, bringing white light in,、uh, asking for、um, angels or God or other spiritual figures to、um, to cleanse the object.、Uh, sometimes that that will neutralize everything and it'll be fine. But in the case of a persistent、um, energetic spirit, then you might have to call someone in, especially. If the spirit has been able to leap from the object into the environment, or to a person, and、uh, those cases do get to be、uh, a little more、uh, difficult to deal with because、uh, the spirit is now free of the object, and so getting rid of the object isn't going to solve the problem.、Ah. The spirit is now attached to something else. Right. Then you're looking at what, like a, an exorcism? In some cases, yes. And、um, we have some examples in Haunted by the Things You Love, where、um, there、uh, th- there was a case, for example, of a cursed object. And a lot of these things happen over love triangles. You know, married couple, husband has an affair, the mistress gets jealous of the wife, tries to curse the the marriage and and break up the household. And、uh, we have a case, such a case in the book, and、uh, the cursed object. Carried a, a very malevolent、uh, entity that was able to lodge in the house,
and it did require bringing uh, clerical people in to do a, a house exorcism and also to do exorcisms on the people. Um, these were not cases of full possession, you know, a la uh, film The Exorcist, but uh, it was a, a cleansing of, of the person's energy field. And uh, that's the most extreme example. We also have a, another case in the book uh, about a ritual idol, and uh, it's uh, a teenager acquired it at a yard sale, just a, a really ugly resin demonic-looking head, and you know kids, they think things like that are cool. And uh, so he brought it into his house, and suddenly he uh, was interested in the occult, and he got occult books and started practicing magic. And uh, the short of it was there was something very malevolent attached to this uh, head, which uh, John determined, um, just from the nature of the case, had been used in some sort of magical rituals, and it attached to this a uh, poor young man who literally uh, started going through the stages of possession. And he reached a point where he felt that this entity was trying to kill him. And uh, at that point, um, he uh, spilled it all out to his parents, and uh, they had to bring religious help in. And he he underwent several exorcisms before he was free of this demonic entity. And... Um, uh, years have passed since that case. He's he's now uh, well into adulthood, but he still feels that he has to be on guard. To um, He never wants to do any rituals, get involved in the occult. He feels if he does, that it could possibly open the door to this entity coming back. See, you have to ask yourself, is it worth saving a few extra bucks by ordering something off a of Craigslist or Kijiji or getting something secondhand? I'm being a little flippant, but that's my nature. Uh, we will come back. And I still, by gosh, I keep forgetting. We've got to get to the, uh, the conclusion of that haunted Chinese liquor cabinet story. That's my fault. We'll do that when I promise this time for sure. Scout's honor. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is with us. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Say hi on Twitter at Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett. Please follow Richard, S-Y-R-E-T-T. Uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley stays with us, leading expert on the uh, paranormal. More than 60 books published and a new one coming out on haunted, haunted objects that she's working with uh, uh, with John Zaffis former host of The Haunted Collector. If you're familiar with that show, ran for three seasons on the uh, Sci-Fi Channel. And um, uh, we have to get to the uh, the Chinese liquor cabinet. So you and Joe um, purchased this uh, handsome liquor cabinet, brought it into the house, and the next morning, what happened again? Well, it, had, uh, it has two center doors with brass pulls on them that open from the center outward. And we got up the next morning, and these poles had somehow been uh, flipped upside down and turned around and jammed together in an X form so tightly that we could not get them open uh, in order to open the cabinet. There was no way that uh, these things just could have flipped into that position by themselves. And when we went to bed... Uh, the poles were in their normal position. Um, in fact, I could not even duplicate what had been done. Uh, when I finally got, got the thing undone, uh, and uh, our conclusion was that there was something attached to the cabinet that uh, was playing a joke on us. And uh, so uh, I, I did a cleansing of the cabinet, an ener energy cleansing of the cabinet, and... Um, 
uh, ordered the spirit away. Uh, and I think it was just kind of a pesky, playful little thing. And we, we haven't had any problems since then, so it didn't lodge in the house. Um, but rarely we um, have any difficulty. And, um, yeah, I think most of the time people are uh, safe buying secondhand things. Uh, the, clue, the clues are, you know, if, if you handle an object um, and it gives you a funny feeling or kind of an ominous feeling or it feels off in any way or even when you're around it or looking at it, pass it on by. In almost every case that we have in the book, people got the warning signs before they acquired the object. There was something strange about it. It seemed off to them, but they overrode um, those warning signs because there were other reasons why they felt they had to have it. So pay attention to how your body is responding to uh, something that you're interested in acquiring. Right. And what about um, articles of clothing? I mean, you can't... Well, I suppose you could soak those in salt water, but um, are they just? Are you just best to get rid of those? And and if you buy, if you're constantly bringing in clothes, I know, you know a lot of people do a lot of clothes shopping at secondhand places, get great deals. It'd be pretty hard to narrow it down to which article of clothing. So then, what do you do? Uh, well, clothing can be a little more difficult because um, if residual energy is is very strong and it gets embedded very deeply into the very fibers of uh, of a garment it, it's a lot uh, more difficult to cleanse but you could put it through the same process of um, sprinkling it with salt uh, getting it blessed uh, leaving it out in the light washing it uh, and uh, also getting someone to come in to see if there's anything attached to it and then um, being able to send that spirit away. And sometimes they, they will go fairly easily. Uh, they can be sent on. And other times um, it's more difficult to, to send them on. Uh, or in problem cases, they literally have to be bound to the object and then it's, it's not usable. It just has to be contained. I, I forgot to give the punchline to the, uh, the, 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 uh, the devil's bench story I mentioned earlier about this couple who brought this bench into the radio station where I worked, and they were concerned because they had there were apparitions and there were you know there was bad luck and ill health, and they wanted to get rid of it, and they used our help or the show that I was producing to help them do so. Uh, but it turned out they did some research and they found out that bench was made from old uh, from wood from an old coffin. Well, uh, anything like that um, is, is just asking for trouble. Uh, you know, a, a, tr- a wood from like a, an old gallows or a coffin or something that has involved tragedy and misfortune and, and especially violent death. Um, people have a morbid fascination with collecting souvenirs from, from disasters and tragedies. And... Um, Oftentimes, these objects can, can be very problematic. We uh, talk a little bit about some of the historic, famous historical cases. Um, the car that James Dean uh, had his fatal accident in uh, had um, a legend for being cursed for a long time. Even parts from the car uh, carried a bad energy. Um, one of the cases that we're putting uh, in uh, um, the new book uh, is twisted metal from uh, a fatal fire. 
that somebody thought was cool to collect as a souvenir from uh, a horrible tragedy, and uh, it just came with all kinds of problems. And uh, so um, that's something to be mindful of as well. You know, what, what's the source of something? And sometimes we don't know. Uh, but if something comes from um, a disaster, a misfortune, a tragedy, um, it's likely to have some some negative energy coming along with it. Let's we've got about seven minutes here. Let's leave aside the haunted objects for a moment and and talk about something I, I mentioned at the top of the uh, the hour, and that has to do with uh, curses that don't necessarily come from a haunted object. I mean, someone may wish you ill and or harm, uh, and maybe they dabble in you know the black arts, or it could be a little less. Uh, deliberate, there is a thing in certain cultures called the evil eye, where simply even by paying you a compliment, if someone, I guess, has that vibe about them, simply wishing you a compliment uh, can cast, uh, maybe an, 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 um, it wasn't intentional, but it can cause bad luck. What are your thoughts on that, the evil eye? Do you believe in it? Uh, I do indeed. A, a curse and the evil eye... Uh, which is a form of a curse, is a projection of energy. It's malevolent energy that streams out and has the potential to affect another living thing, whether it's a person or an animal or a plant, a landscape. And it's a withering effect. Uh, And there's a lot of this negative energy that bounces around all the time. You know, people uh, every day harbor negative thoughts against other individuals. And most of the time this energy doesn't really have an impact, but in certain cases it does. And these people who have the natural evil eye, they have something in their energy field that projects this a negative energy that, that impacts others. There are other individuals who can become quite skilled at sending negative energy, with the, usually with the help of the spirit world. And, uh, you know, historically, these are the uh, sorcerers, the the witches, um, you know, uh, dark magicians and things like that. But any individual uh, can uh, set themselves to learn some of these techniques. And they do have the potential to, uh, to impact people. It depends on how strong the energy is, how vulnerable the victim might be, uh, and uh, they can cause uh, anything from minor problems to real serious problems. How do you protect yourself if uh, someone, and let's say you have a pretty good idea who it is, uh, and all of a sudden, again, you feel like you're under a curse, string of bad luck, ill health, financial problems, one thing after the other, and you've sort of, you know, there's no logical explanation or rational reason why all this is happening to you, and you think you might know who's responsible, then what do you do? Well, the best thing uh, that you can do, if, if you've identified a probable source, is uh, to bolster yourself with uh, prayer and spiritual invocation, to ask for spiritual help. Uh, and our natural boundary that protects us is the aura. It's the envelope of energy that surrounds everyone and is part of our vital life force. And uh, having a daily practice of prayer and meditation will automatically strengthen this energy field that acts literally as a shield against incoming negative energy. Uh, It will just slide off of it or or bounce off of it. 
Uh, some people think that the way to handle these things is to send the bad energy back to uh, the sender. And uh, I think that that, personally, my opinion is that I think that just perpetuates a very bad cycle. Um, the energy uh, of curses can be broken uh, in a visual kind of way, in visualization. Uh, sometimes energy healers and uh, medical qigong practitioners and uh, people who deal in alternative energetic medicine can see in a person's aura where um, a weakness is or a rip or a tear or even something has been lodged in the aura. And that's often the way a curse is affected is to send something into a person's energy field and stick it, uh, make it stick in the energy field where it acts like an ongoing, um, you know, bomb of sorts. And I remember once we had a conversation about this, and uh, you mentioned uh, how you can bind that person, that evildoer or that person who's casting this curse against you, a spell. There's a way of binding that person. If you have like a photograph of them, do you remember that conversation? Yes, there uh, there are some um, easy remedies that are very effective in many cases. And one is to take a photograph of the person that uh, you uh, know has uh, sent this, a curse to you, and um, you can um, put it in a bag of ice in the freezer, which freezes the energy. Uh, you can write on the photograph um, this, uh, you know, that this curse is broken. You can visualize the energy breaking. Uh, the photograph can be buried in the earth. It's symbolic ways of um, ending and grounding and uh, dissipating the, the energy. That will work in many cases. But if the sender is a very skilled person uh, and has employed um, high-level spirit help uh, to, um, to send the curse, uh, then, then you've got to get the help of somebody who's got similar know-how. And um, have you ever been targeted in such a way? Has someone placed a curse on you and you knew who that person was? Well, I did have a case uh, some years ago where uh, this was back when I was uh, researching one of my encyclopedias on witches and witchcraft, and uh, I did have uh, a case where I felt that uh, one of the individuals uh, in, who I had featured in the book had disapproved of some of the things I had said about a, uh, a favorite person of hers and uh, that she had a tat. Uh, attached a curse to an object that she gave me as a gift. And um, I started having, um, oh, strings of bad luck and mishaps. And um, I wasn't seriously affected, but it got to the point where something obviously was was wrong. And uh, I thought about some of the angry words she had directed at me, and I thought, well, I wonder if there was something attached to this object. And so I, I had the object cleansed, and uh, I exposed it to the sunlight and the salt, uh, and uh, and then I got rid of it, and everything cleared up after that. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, the website visionaryliving.com, and uh, the release date for the new book that you're working on with John Zaffis about haunted objects. When might we expect that? In August, toward the end of August. Rosemary, always a delight. Stay well, and we will talk in one month's time. Thank you, Richard. Enjoyed the show. Thank you. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, again, visionaryliving.com. 
My thanks to Ian Robertson, as always, and uh, Albert Vinzel, of course, for his tireless work. Uh, back next week with a brand new show. Dr. Douglas James Cottrell, remote viewer, with his predictions for 2016. Earth changes, uh, the economy, geopolitics, the U.S. presidential race, and uh, all things closer to home as well. Also, Dr. Elena Gabor, past life regression therapist, will be here. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.